Hey, well, thanks, Steve. Um, I thought we'd uh, start off uh, tonight uh, with a conversation, and um, then later on we're going to have a little bit of question and answer opportunity. So there'll be a text um, phone number up there on the screen where you can text in any questions. And um, I just want to say welcome if you're joining us online uh, tonight. It's uh, great to have you with us, and it's uh, great to be here in a warm room on a rainy night. Let's pray. Father, I just ask you very simply that you would help each of us to leave this time together completely convinced that you are madly in love with us. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in this series in theology and tonight we're talking about building a theology of people. Now, most of my working hours um, during the week are spent in a clinic, a medical practice, working as a general practitioner, trying to help people. And in my work, because I'm a Christian, I really want to honour God in the way I work. And I like to try to think about my work in the way that God would think about it to help me in that process of honouring him in the way that I work. Most of my patients, probably about 50% of my practice, would be um, patients who struggle with a psychiatric condition or a psychological condition of some sort. Well, one of my patients one day said, hey doc, when are you going to stop practising? And um, I thought, gosh, you must think I'm pretty old, maybe... (laughs) He thinks retirement's just around the corner. And I hadn't been really thinking about retirement, so I sort of was a bit caught out and just paused for a moment. And then he jumped in again and he said, you know, stop practising and actually do something. (laughs) Sometimes I find it hard to think about people the way God thinks about them. (laughs) So how do we think about theology and doing stuff. Is theology theory and doing action? In fact, it's a little bit more complex than that. And in fact, theory and practice are integrated together in this idea of theology. It's something a lot of people have wrestled with over time, and I want to introduce you to a word. The word comes from a Greek origin, it's called praxis. And I've already used similar words to this already, haven't I, about a medical practice and being a medical practitioner and my patient telling me that I should stop practicing and actually do something. This word is used to help us understand a little bit more about what theology means. It's often used in medicine, it's often used in academic circles and it's used in Christian thinking circles. And it's the idea that theory and doing can't be separated, that they're actually integrated together. And that it's a continuous process of integrating knowledge and doing that learns, that leads eventually to true understanding. So let me give you a practical example. Um, who would enjoy being operated on by a surgeon who had never touched a patient, only read about it in a book. 
I think we'd all struggle a little bit with our level of confidence on that one, wouldn't we? And the reason is that how we train surgeons is that we help them to understand the theory about what needs to be done and about the human body and we very early on move from theory to practice in a supervised way so that they learn to integrate both the theory, the understanding and the actual practical doing together in one learning exercise. And in fact, the more times they do that, the better and better they get. It's a continuous process. And in fact, these days, if you're going to have a very, very difficult operation, sometimes your doctor or even a patient themselves will do some research to find out how many times a particular specialist surgeon has done a particular kind of operation. Because we recognise that practice is a critical part of the learning experience. And you can't separate theory from doing. And it's exactly the same with theology. It's in the living of a Christian life, using the theory that we have about God and what we really learn from that theory, and it's by constantly doing and referring to the known truth about God that we continue to grow in our knowledge and our doing, integrated together in God. So sometimes it's a bit tricky to figure out how to apply theology to particular situations. It's often useful to think about a really big problem that's kind of at arm's length and then try to understand what God thinks about that. And then as we learn to do that, we start to learn to apply, like the surgeon, the theory in practice, and then gradually over time, it infiltrates our thinking on a day-to-day -day basis. So what I'm gonna do is help us tonight a little bit by thinking about some big, hairy, difficult problems in the hope that as we learn to think about those a bit from God's perspective, our theology will become stronger. Not that we're faced with those really big problems every day, but it will start to inform the smaller decisions, the smaller attitudes that we take on a day-to-day -day basis. So I wanna share with you just a list of some of the problems that have come my way in recent months in the form of people that I've interacted with. So I spent quite a lot of time with a woman who ended up having a termination of pregnancy because her husband demanded that she did or he would leave her and the children. I spent time with loving parents whose sole focus in life was to make their children happy whatever the cost. I spent time with a woman who was in a violent marriage relationship and it was time for her to escape. I spent quite a lot of time with a 14-year-old boy who was deeply confused and uncertain and felt that he wanted to in fact be a girl rather than a boy. I spent time with a mentally unwell mother who threatened the life of a baby time with an elderly woman who wanted to die, a middle-aged man overwhelmed by regret about a misspent youth, and a woman that hated on the basis of race. 
a man's life shortened by disease and his fears for his family, a woman so depressed that she felt her life had no meaning and that she as a person had no value. These stories are personal, they're individual, but they're actually being played out in many people's lives around our community. Because it's not always clear to everyone involved which is the best decision, which is right or wrong. Each situation could go badly wrong for one or more of the individuals concerned, depending on whose opinion wins the day. So what does God think about us? What's his opinion? How can understanding God's view help us make everyday decisions and also help us make the really difficult decisions in life? What's incredibly powerful about God's opinion on the big and tricky decisions is that once you hold his viewpoint, it informs even the little decisions that you make on an everyday life. Um, so far in our series on theology, Carl um, came and explained that theology was a construct about who God is, how God acts, and what we should do in response to that. And Tony came along and um, helped us build a theology of good, understanding that our God is good. By the way, she also said that she didn't do hospitals, needles or surgery. I do hospitals, needles and surgery. Christoph came last week and he explained that God is a God of order and a God of patterns, a God of ideas and of creativity a God of progression and steps, and that our God is not in a hurry. He's not an instant fix-it God. Our God is a God who takes his time. Now, having a theology that properly informs our daily practice and our behaviour is critical, and we ignore it at our own and at others' peril. So let's take a really brief look at what the Bible says about what God thinks about people. Please note that the whole Bible is, in fact, about who God is, what he thinks about people, and how we should respond. So picking only a few verses is inadequate in the extreme, but I hope it'll be like a starting point kind of summary for us. So I really appreciate it if we get those verses up from Genesis. It seems like all theology starts in Genesis, doesn't it? Well, when you think about it, it's not really that surprising. Genesis 1, let's have a look at verses 27 and 28. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Wow. Verse 31. Rule over, sorry, rule over the fish in the sea and it was very good, and there was, oh, there we go, ah, birds in the sky and over every other living creature that moves on the ground. Got that. Now let's go to 31. God saw that he had all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. And in Genesis 2, let's jump into that one. 15 and 18, through to 18. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. 
And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Uh, let's jump over to verse 25. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Let's take a look at Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 and 12. But when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realised they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. And verse 21, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. The reason I've chosen these passages tonight is that in the first section we see that God created everything and it was very good. And then we saw the evidence of perfection in that community the interaction of people with God and together. And then in Genesis, Genesis 3, we saw the entry of disobedience followed by shame and blame. But we also, right at that end, we saw the kindness of God, the clothing of the shameful effects of that sin. So with those passages of scripture in mind, we're gonna take like a really quick 10 or 15 minute dive into what the Bible says about God and people. So you better hang on to the chairs because this is gonna go pretty fast. So let's capture some of the key ideas that come from these passages of scripture. God created humans, he made them perfectly to be in harmony with himself and each other. Next point, we were made in God's likeness we were made to be in community with a God who is intrinsically communal, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We were made to rule over the earth and its animals and plants and territories and to care for them. We had perfect work to do and responsibility delegated by God, which is a meaningful contribution towards God's community. We were made to live in eternal community with God and with each other. We were made in two sexes, distinct 
but complementary and able to reproduce and increase the size of God's loving community. His intention was that there'd be a whole earth full of people in community with each other and with, each, and with him. We were made to live eternal lives, not to die. We were made good, in fact, very good. And we were made that way by a good God. We were made able to choose to follow God's opinions out of love for that good God who made us or to follow our own opinions. Now, God gave one law. It was, don't eat of that tree. And he explained the clear consequences. You will certainly die if that rule is broken. Now, God's opinion was that that law should not be broken and that was best for us. We were made with the ability to understand the implications of that law and the consequences of our choices. But would we agree? Would Adam and Eve agree with God or not? What was the human race going to do in the face of a perfect world made for perfect lives to be lived in perfect love, fulfilment and harmony in community with God and each other? Well, the story unfolds and we find that Humans chose their own opinions over God's. Wow. Can you imagine the God-sized disappointment that must have followed? Perfection. And we chose the other choice. We were made by a just and loving God and even in the middle of that choice of our sin and disobedience and rejection of God's opinions, he still loved and he still showed mercy and he clothed us, easing our shame. We were made by a God that will never give up on us as a people, even though we regularly reject his opinion and do not love him. Well, as we see unfold in the biblical story, a sad tale of humans exercising their own opinions, sinning again and again with terrible consequences that follow. Breakdown of community, loss of innocence, abuse of power and violence, destruction, loss and pain and death, separation from God and each other, deterioration in the environment, disease, even to the extent of damage to the building blocks of God's amazing genetic plan for our bodies and our minds. The loss of perfection had commenced, but despite this, God's love reigns supreme. He continues to be madly in love with us. God commenced a rescue plan at huge personal cost to himself, a plan that would take a long time to unfold, not wanting to leave his creation to fully self-destruct and the consequences of our opinions to destroy all hope of restoration, God's mercy mission began. He found among us, though imperfect, there were a few who had faith in him and were willing to trust and obey, however imperfectly. He credited these expressions of faith, even prior to his plan being fully visible, as righteousness, as goodness, and that countered the tendency to disobey and to follow our own opinions. And that rightness allowed him as a true and a just judge to consider 
those people suitable to be saved. The stories of some of these early heroes of the faith that are described in the older part of the Bible we call the Old Testament. Their faith looked forward to the visible plan of God's salvation that was to come in Jesus. He selected a people of faith. He built a nation of faith. He guided the nation with laws to help them live in a form of community, though a fairly poor representation at times, looked forward to the ultimate restoration of community um, between people and God. God's magnificent restoration project was underway. When the time was right, God's own son Jesus was born into the world. The books of the Old Testament foretold this and his coming. The New Testament describes his arrival, his teaching, God's rescue plan, his perfect life lived on behalf of a life that we could not live. The ultimate story of Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross as payment in full for all the disobedience in the world from the Garden of Eden till he comes again. Jesus rose again, demonstrating his power over death and following that, um, empowered by the Holy Spirit, a new community emerged called the church where the intention was that there'd no longer be any division on the basis of race or gender or wealth. Jesus' perfect rightness was credited to every person, whether from the Old Testament or the New or today, through faith in Jesus. For everyone who believes in Jesus till he comes again is shown God's mercy and doesn't have to face the consequence of eternal separation from God and eternal separation from the community of faith. Jesus rising from the dead demonstrated his power as God over death and provided proof we can trust him for our ultimate restoration. So after his ascension, a comforter and an empower is sent, the Holy Spirit, and this launches the new community called the church. And a restoration process becomes very visible then. Um, ultimately, with the people of faith in the church being admitted with all those who've had faith in the years before, in the Old Testament, um, ultimately being together in paradise with God. So in the meantime, what does the church have to do? Well, God's given us meaningful, purposeful work to do, to make the good news of Jesus known to as many people as we possibly can and to give them the opportunity to have faith in Jesus and join us in community. A community of faith still under restoration, still imperfect, but forgiven and empowered by the Holy Spirit, moving forward towards perfection. So, to sum up, people matter to God and they must matter to us. Each person, no matter what sex, race, nation or language, no matter how damaged, um, no matter whether they suffer from disease, no matter how poor or rich, no matter how weak or strong, no matter how disobedient or self-centred, all these people matter to God. Imperfect though people are, they're still made in his image and by his power through faith they can be restored to eternal perfection. This morning we had an incredible opportunity where many people who's, who have not got English as a first language, people from other countries and other cultures, shared a, a verse a really important verse. And I just want us to read this through together if you'd join me. 
Just read it together with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. We all need to hear of the extraordinary love and mercy of God. Never, never, never give up on people. Never, never, never give up on yourself. The reason is that God doesn't. Sum up, God loves people and he plans to have a lot of them in eternal community with him. He offers hope to everyone, no matter how lost or damaged you may feel. God has only one rescue and restoration plan, and it's faith in Jesus Christ. God has good work for us to do. The Bible reveals the nature of God and his plans and opinions. It's the resource center for our theology and our praxis of people. Let's make sure our theology and practice is not blown about by the opinions of others, however popular those opinions may be, or by society, or subjugated by the powerful, or distorted because of our ignorance, or our misunderstanding. Let's make sure we base our theology and our practical living every day on the principles described in the Bible. The whole Bible is full of God's revealing himself and his nature to us so that we can get to know him and live according to the best plan for all eternity. Thanks for listening. And uh, after the team have um, uh, had another song or two with us, I think Ben's going to come up and join me and we're going to do a little bit of question and answer. So if you've still got a question in the back of your head or something you want to ask about, I'll have a go with God's help at answering it. Um, Text them in. Let's talk in a few minutes.